you know, if you want to curse, curse. Okay. I'll use other words that I can't use in the New York Times. It's just funny. I think there is oh, something about like talking to like a, a woman who looks like she's 16 in a floral dress that just makes like interviewees be like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm like, it's okay. okay. I, I can take it. Change Welcome to Undressed with Style Girlfriend. I'm your host, Megan Collins. On Style Girlfriend, as you guys know by now, we help men dress better and live with more style and more confidence. And, you know, this podcast is our opportunity to go even deeper, talking with interesting folks who we feel are really living their lives with style. We want to find out what makes them tick. And, you know, hey, if you come away with a few tips or shortcuts to to more style in your own life, all the better. Now, if you haven't yet, please do go subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, whatever other purveyors of fine podcast product that you frequent, uh, and leave us a review. We love reviews. Good reviews mostly, but, you know, constructive criticism is welcome. Sure. Yeah. Just say it nicely. Uh, (laughs) On today's episode, we are talking to New York Times reporter Alex Williams. You guys, I'm so excited for this. I have known Alex for a while. He actually quoted Style Girlfriend on an article uh, last year sometime, maybe even the year before that, uh, on the return of puffer vests, which was amazing uh, that my first time in the New York Times was uh, a reference to Marty McFly on my part and actually feels totally appropriate. But he's an all-around good guy that I had only previously known through email. So this was the first time I got to go to the New York Times building, which I'd also never done before. It was very exciting and get just a chance to chat with him. He's a really fun, interesting guy. He writes for the venerated newspaper's style section. So just really engaging, informative pieces on everything from the merits of owning an $800,000 wristwatch to the political repercussions of House Speaker Paul Ryan growing a beard. I I just, I love reading everything he writes. Uh, And if you don't know him already, go follow him on Twitter and check out everything that he has to say about style and culture, both here in New York and abroad. He's a great writer. I, he covers arts and entertainment and Metro New York beats. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, where else? His writing has appeared in the Washington Post and TechCrunch. He used to write for New York Magazine. He's just, he's amazing. So go check out his stuff uh, if you're not already a devoted reader like I am. So with that just fawning out of the way, uh, enjoy this conversation with Alex Williams of the New York Times. So we're here with Alex Williams of the New York Times in this beautiful building. You just showed me around. You said you've been working here. How long is it? 2004, so 12 years almost. Wow. It seems like three, but it's been 12, shockingly (laughs) enough. It seemed like 12 in the first three, and now it seems like three, basically. Sure. (laughs) And when you first got here, were you writing about style when you first arrived? Yeah. I mean, I was brought in as a general assignment reporter, um... I'm one of the few people on the staff that doesn't do the shows in Paris and Milan. I mean, we have plenty of people that do that. So I'm not a fashion writer. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I do overlaps the style. But um, I was basically brought in as a general assignment feature writer, which is a lot of zeitgeisty stuff, kind of how we live now stuff, you know, social trends, um, you know, stuff that people are talking about over the water coolers, um, just stuff that kind of, animates us day to day, basically. I would imagine that must be fun because it's sort of an excuse to be up on what people are talking about. For me, I have to read like a medium article on DJ Khaled on Snapchat to know what I'm missing. So you're sort of just by, by the very nature of your, 
of your role, you're up on this stuff. It's, it's true. I mean, the, the difficult thing is that I'm not up on any one area. Like, I would know all the DJs if I were did the music beater. I would know all the designers if I was a straight, you know, straight-up fashion writer. But because I sort of nibble between beats, it's kind of weird because you can't know everything. And so it's, I have this... It's, it's strange because most reporters, you know, when they finish a story, it's just kind of like, okay, what's the next thing coming down the pike? I mean, if you cover movies, it's like, oh, Spielberg has a new movie. That's what I'm going to write about. Whereas with me, I finish a story. It's like, now what? You know, I, I could write about anything, you know, or nothing or, you know, whatever. I can't write about nothing, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> although I've tried, but um, it's, that's the strange thing about my job is that there's, there's no beat. There are no press conferences for what I do. So. Well, I was gonna, I was gonna sort of ask about that because you do write about more than just style. You cover arts and entertainment. You uh, cover sort of the New York metro area. You had a really great piece last year that I loved on how everyone's decamping to LA. Oh yeah, which came out right around the time that my annual I should move to LA <laughs> thoughts were popping up in my head. I know the sad thing about that story is that that we were aiming for a March run on that, and I think we hit April when it was already about seventy degrees in New York. So kind of took a little bit of the wind out of the sails. But yeah, that was the most talked about piece I've had in a long time. Um, mostly for good, some for bad. The funny thing is that New Yorkers all agreed with it. It was the LA people who sort of pushed back. Oh, is that right? Yeah, because I mean, there's just this thing with L- it's it's an LA media thing. They do not like New Yorkers talking about LA. You're just, I mean, you could say Los Angeles is a city on the West Coast. And be like, oh, you know, New Yorkers, you know, you know what, what you're talking about. about. <laughs> Go back to New York. I mean, they think kind of rightly that we're cocky and, you know, insular and all that stuff. But it was weird because, I mean, that piece is basically saying, like, we're jealous of you. And yet the only pushback I got was from specifically L.A. journalists. Really? Yeah. But it was weird. But, no, I mean, I got to say that, like, not a not a week goes by, certainly, where I don't hear somebody else reference that story. It's like, oh, that was so true. Everybody I know has moved out there. So, yeah, it's um, it's a thing. You're from California originally. I am. How yes. did you end up on the East Coast? I, well, I grew up in the Bay Area in Silicon Valley. Um Went to Berkeley, and then my family, one by one, all moved to Southern California when I was still in college. And so when I got out, unlike a lot of college kids today, I mean, I always meet these kids who just have this, like, five-year plan for their career and everything. I wasn't like that at all. I mean, I started to think about a career halfway through the last semester of my senior year. I was like, well, I could do journalism. I mean, I was completely unrealistic. I mean, I thought maybe maybe I'd go into academia you know, oh, maybe I'll be a poet. You know, I mean, I, I didn't have any firm plans at all. Wow. I, I studied. What did you study? I studied rhetoric, which takes about an hour and a half to explain. But it's um, it's a very popular major at Berkeley. But um, anyway, so yeah, I was I was I was I was going to make some money, go to Europe. Um, but I ended up through a long list of weird circumstances landing a job in a in a local newspaper, and I had done a lot of. Uh, high school journalism. I happened to go to a school with a really good high school newspaper. I was always getting these awards. And so I was kind of weirdly prepared to do that, but nothing else. And so I kept thinking like, well, I'll just do this for a little while longer while I, you know, think about going to law school or something like that, or, you know, grad school or whatever. But I just sort of kept on doing it. And um, then the how I moved to New York thing, I, I guess that requires some backstory. I just, I'd always been fascinated by New York. And this was kind of pre-Seinfeld and pre-Friends. I mean, for people of your generation, I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, oh, yeah. It's so it's Oh, I live in a huge apartment with all my friends oh, totally, and never yeah, work. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. But my generation was a little bit before that. And when, when I was, you know, growing up, New York was still like, people looked at like, you were like, you were insane to even go there. It's like, oh, you go to Central Park, you'll be murdered, you'll be mugged. I mean, literally, in the, even in the late 80s, early 90s, you know, people still, and, you know, for kind of good reason, there was a lot of crime. 
To but, be fair, when I moved here in 01, my parents thought the same thing. But I'm from Wisconsin, <laughs> so I think they just think anywhere that's not the Midwest, you're going to get murdered. That's, so. that's probably true. That's probably true. But anyway, yeah, so I'd always had this thing about New York. So I just moved here. Basically, one of my good friends from college happened to have, he was living here. His grandparents had a place in the, the West Village, and so I was crashing with him for a while. Wait, that they had just... Well, they, no, they were from here. Yeah, oh, I mean, real estate-wise, you don't want to, I mean... They had bought it in 1962. It was a oh. five-story townhouse in the middle of the West Village. I mean, we could all retire in that place. That was amazing. Listeners, but, I'm just cringing right now with just envy. I'm just oh. a ball of jealous envy right now. No, even by West Village standards, this one would be, it was like at least 25 feet wide. It was like So basically a, you did, you were someone who moved to New York and thought, oh, there, you just live in New York. <laughs> here. No, I was, it, it You were it, pre-friends it, friends. People tease me about that, but um, I quickly found out <laughs> the truth. No, I mean, I, um, I was sort of stuck here. I didn't know anybody. I had virtually no money. Um, I did get a temporary job at um, a small university, uh, the new school for social research, a small college here. Um, and it was just like, you know, basically pushing papers, but it, it was enough to live. And that's when, I mean, my real estate illusions were shattered because I moved to the East Village um, in a $500 a month um, room. You can imagine even then what that rented you. Mm-hmm. Um, it was basically a glorified closet. I kid you not. <laughs> it, was, oh, yeah. it was ridiculous. No, no um, air conditioning. And so it was about 117 degrees in the summer. It was, it was insane. And there was, I mean, believe me, it was a daily thought that, like, someday I'll just go back to California. Every time I saw, like, a GQ fashion spread on Melrose Avenue in L.A. or something, it's like, why am I not there? But anyway, um, long story short. But, I, I mean, what did, so then what did keep you? Because you could have at any time moved back. I mean, what, what I kept think, you in New York? Well, the main thing was that it becomes sort of a personal challenge. It was kind of like moving to New York is sort of like my climbing Everest. It's like I sort of wanted to prove to everybody that I could at least get past base camp one. I mean, you know, I'd, I mean, I knew enough, I knew I knew actual stories of people that had come back here for like three weeks and like gone just, home with their tail between their legs. And it would just be too embarrassing after this big send off. Like, hey, I'm back. Although, believe me, I was very close. <laughs> was but, there any low moment of like you came home and there was just, you know, a rat the size of your head sitting on your back? Oh, like, I don't. <laughs> I mean, you're describing my 20s. I mean, like, it's like. I, do. I feel yeah. like New York puts up, it pushes back as much as it can. And oh. then for those that actually get through it, then it, it sort of welcomes you in. But you have to. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's. You have I mean, to fight back. To no, it was an absolutely constant. I mean, you know, I mean, my. I feel like one of these old men talking about, like, when I was a kid, I had to walk 18 miles in the snow or something. <laughs> I sort of am, I guess. But. Anyway, um, no, I mean, I remember I was so, I mean, I, I, to jump forward a bit, I, I got a job as a freelance fact checker at New York Magazine, finally got on staff there. But like, you know, I was back then, you just made absolutely no money. I had no parental help in money or anything. And so I was like, I was running on fumes financially for three or four years, really. And I mean, it got so bad that um, I was literally hustling people playing Nerf basketball in the fact checking department. We had a Nerf hoop. And I happen to be a really good Nerf basketball player from my you were childhood. A Nerf basketball ringer. Yeah, I could. Be, yeah, exactly. I mean, I could. I could basically now hit nine out of ten in Nerf basketball as a free throw. I can't do that with regular I, basketball. What are you doing? Still being a <laughs> I know. Take that on the road. But no, I mean, I was literally hustling people, and I would. I would make like eighteen bucks on that. It's like, hey, man, my Friday night, we're all set. It was. It was. No, it was that. It was that extreme. And yeah, I mean, I'd go back. I remember going back on vacation. Um, Probably I'd been here a year and a half or something, and at that point I was living in the glorified closet in the east, uh, in the lower east, I mean the East Village. And back then it was like you know East Village now is like you know yeah. trendy and all that stuff. And it was trend, it was cool then, but like it was still, still pretty. Crazy. I mean there was a crack dealer on my stoop literally every day, and so, I mean it was still like kind of rough. 
But anyway, I remember going back in the first morning there, um, my parents and I went over for lunch in Laguna Beach. It was just like, it was just like Shangri-La. I mean, I remember we parked up on the hill and we're walking down to this big basin with like the sun glistening on the ocean. And Laguna is like one of the most beautiful places on earth anyway. Right. And it just, yeah, it just, it, it was like I had chosen to live in a, you know, in a coal mine or something instead of like Beverly Hills. It was Did crazy. you feel like you had culture shock? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and honestly, why did I stick it out? I mean, I think, I mean, you know, one thing I guess we're sort of ignoring is that by that point I had actually developed some sort of editorial ambitions. I mean, I did actually want to make it in the magazine business and I did have a, I did have a, a toehold in there. I mean, it's really tough because I wasn't making enough money to live really, but um, you know, it was something and I didn't really have anything to go back for at that point, you know, professionally. So um, I kept thinking like, well, I'll just kind of like see it to the next level, just kind of see where it goes from mm-hmm. here. And um it took a while. Um, it definitely, there were, a f- you know, fact checking when I was doing it, it was the kind of thing, you know, you wanted to do it for maybe two years, but in that third year, it started to be like, oh, it's kind of like up or out, you know? And um, I was, I went through, I think, a third year mostly, and it was really starting to look kind of grim. And then, um, I mean, it was, you know, it was fine, but like, it was definitely like, I don't know if, I didn't know if it was going to happen really. Um and then a bunch of um, big life events happened. My father actually died, and so I almost moved back to California to be closer to my mother. And was actually in negotiations to go get a couple of jobs there. I mean, one in editorial, one in uh, crisis PR, of all things. But uh, <laughs> anyway, and so at the last minute, it was just sort of like this hand of God came down, basically. And uh, the editor um, of New York Magazine had basically like opened up two kind of junior writing positions, doing front of the book stuff. And uh, I was chosen as one of the people. And so, I mean, literally, I was like a week away from flying out to interviews for some jobs in Southern California. So I didn't go. And um, that's when things got good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was kind of the end of the war story era. And, but, I mean, uh, how many years is that? That's that was like three, four. I mean, I'd been in New York for like four years. And it was like three years of just kind of like just grinding away in editorial. I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it, 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 it's weird when I think about like, if I had been me now trying to counsel me then, it's like, I don't know if I, I mean, yeah, I would have said stick with it because eventually, like, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my career and, you know, life and everything else. But, like, it was the point where, like, you know, I mean, I was living that way and then my friends who had gone to law school were getting out and they were, like, you know, they were starting out at, like, you know, $70,000, which back then was just, like, this astronomical <laughs> amount of money. Um, still, you know, still is good, good, but... um Anyways, and it was just like, why am I doing this? I mean, I remember I had this French roommate briefly, briefly and it was like, you know, Alex, you know, you're a smart guy. Why do you live this way? I was like, um, I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, the answer is that eventually it all, it all happened. So I'm, I'm really glad I stuck, stuck with it because at any moment I could have pulled the plug and it was very tempting, but um, I'm really glad I did. And that next, you know, the next four years after that, and actually, you know, the next many years after that was kind of all up, 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 but um, yeah, you just had to get, I mean, everybody has to suffer. You know, you hear about these people in Hollywood who worked in the mail room at fill in the blank agency. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. CAA. And, uh, you know, it's just, everybody's got those stories. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier that you feel like (laughs) quote unquote kids today don't necessarily, uh, come out of college thinking that they're going to have to grind it out because they do kind of like 
come out with this sense of, no, I'm just going to run the company. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to run the show. Cause I'm very, you know, my parents have always, those damn millennials. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> do you, I mean, do you have any of that now that you have people under you that, you know, you're kind of seeing come up and maybe you're mentoring in some way, you know, what is the attitude that's different well, I mean, you know, in journalism specifically? In journalism specifically, I mean, it's, it's hard to say because I mean, First of all, I don't have any people I directly mentor because typically by the time people come to the Times, they're sort of established anyway. It's not, we don't have a lot of like, you know, junior whiz kid types. I mean, it's usually, you know, you do that someplace else and then you get hired here. So, but, you know, I mean, through my reporting, I deal with people all the time, like hyper ambitious 25 year olds, um, you know, who are, you know, starting X, Why'd Y, and Z. All of you guys. Yes. That's why I hired you. Yes. Never leave me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I see a ton of that, but I mean, honestly, I feel really, I mean, you know, it's, people can poke fun at like, you know, entitled millennials and stuff, but I, I feel bad for them and the kids coming up behind them because it's, I don't know. Like, I mean, I've got two small children. I've got two sons who are five and two and I have no idea what I'm going to tell them to do professionally because it's like things are changing so fast and all these Mm -hmm. rock solid jobs are sort of evaporating. I mean, you know, I mean. I wouldn't tell him to be a lawyer now. It's it's going to be like computerized or outsourced to like. My father was a lawyer and told me not to be a lawyer. <laughs> oh yeah. So yeah. Lawyers always tell you not to be a lawyer. <laughs> and it's great advice. It's great. It's great advice. <laughs> I will. Yes. Don't be a lawyer. That's that is my advice. But um, but no. I mean, it's so so. Yeah. I mean, what I see is. I mean, I, I actually I sincere I see a lot of sincerity among like you know people in their twenties now. I mean, it's you know I don't get like I don't see like all the nation. I see basically like you know, a lot of, you know, very hard, you know, very focused yeah. people who move to New York to make their careers happen. So, you know, it's kind of a small sample size, but, um, and maybe I mischaracterized it. I mean, it's not even so much, I mean, I think for a while there was the feeling of entitlement, but now I think it's almost more about this sense of like of confidence. Mm-hmm. Like I think kids come out of college and are like, I can literally do anything. And in a, in a respect, it's true. You really can. And you can start to create and you can start to put yourself out there, especially in a creative field where you don't have to wait for someone to give you permission. You can start a blog, you can start, you know, directing and things and putting them on YouTube. I mean, it's really, it is something where you just have to have the confidence to hit publish really. No, I agree with that completely. I mean, and the opportunities and the, op- the, the upside is way higher than it was. I mean, like, you know, in, in my field, you know, when I was doing it, it was sort of like, Hey, you know, if you really like nailed it, you'd become a contributing editor and, you know, you'd actually have a salary and all that stuff. But nowadays, yeah, you could become, you know, you could become a mogul, I guess, theoretically, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause I mean, I remember when I was just at that point where I was starting to become a writer, but hadn't really done it. Like a lot, you know, in my mid twenties, I spent a lot of time struggling about whether or not to call myself a writer because I hadn't published, you know, I still haven't published a book, but I mean, um, I hadn't, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd been a journalist, but like, I, I didn't feel like I'd really earned that term. And then I was talking to one of the writers at New York magazine and he was just basically like, you know, nobody's, he basically said, nobody's going to make you a writer. You just start writing. Of course he was actually wrong because somebody did make me a writer, but like, but actually <laughs> to be fair, after I had already been doing some writing. So, but yeah, I mean, it's just sort of like. It's that same thing. You just sort of have to do it. Yeah. I mean, you know. Maybe everyone in the creative field just has that imposter syndrome. I mean, uh, could be. unless you're handed a diploma that says, like, you are now a ballerina. Like, you kind of do just have to say, I'm I'm a writer. No, I'm a this. I'm a that. I'm a I think it's true. Whatever it is. No, it's true. And I do think that the, I think, like, people in their 20s now are a little bit more, you know, they feel more comfortable doing that because it is. But, yeah, because it's like, I mean, you know, I mean. 
when I was doing it, the idea that like, you know, we're all a brand wasn't really a thing, but now everybody's a brand. Um, I still have a hard time thinking of myself that way, but like, I mean, you know, the people I know who are, I mean, certainly in like web and that sort of thing, you know, that's, yeah, they're branding themselves, you know, through social media, obviously and Instagram and stuff, you can do it very, very clearly. And, um, but so, yeah, I mean, the opportunities are there, but it does seem like it's a, what's the shape of the pyramid? I think it's a very narrow pyramid or whatever, but it's tough. To, you know, there's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot, a lot of bad stuff, a lot of bad stuff down. At well, the again, I mean, too, just on so. the flip side of being able to say, well, just start calling yourself a photographer. There's a lot of people out there who say, well, I know Instagram. And so I'm a photographer. Yeah, exactly. So yes, I mean, there's, there's certainly two sides to that. Coin. That is for sure. Yeah. For, yeah. But, um, no, it's, it's, it's an interesting time. I guess an exciting time, but you know. <laughs> well, I'd love to talk a bit more specifically about work and just selfishly as, as sort of a, a, a someone who feels conflicting feelings about calling myself a writer as well. Yeah. Um, I, I love your writing. I mean, I, I knew your writing before you first reached out to me. I think you quoted me in like a article about the yeah. return of puffer vests and I, oh, I managed vests. to work in Marty McFly. That's so right. I, I remember my, that. Yes. My first time being quoted in the times I should That's include right. a back to the future reference. But exactly, um, yeah. do you think that was something that you honed at New York magazine? Because I feel like that's very much uh, a magazine that has a lot of personality to it, but not a lot of ego, not a lot of attitude, which is something that doesn't necessarily if you were going to call a magazine New York magazine, it might, it might have more ego. That, no, that's a good point. Type. I mean, I, I definitely, you know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, yes, New York magazine is huge in terms of being an opportunity and a training ground. Um, you know, I spent my twenties there and, a, you know, nice chunk of my thirties there. And it was, um, it was a great place to learn. I mean, and I worked under a couple of different editors before Adam Moss took over. I was there and, um, so I saw, I saw various approaches to the magazine, kind of different personalities and that sort of thing. But, um, yeah, it was a fantastic place to learn. And, you know, it was a place that you could still do long form journalism. I mean, it still is, but like, you know, I mean, I did, I did some stories that were, you know, eight, 10 pages long. I mean, it was, it's, you know, to have that kind of space, especially like, you know, in the, in the, the Gawker era or whatever, you know, when, when everything, you know, so compressed and such a punchy little quick hit, but it's, um, it was intense just to have all this freedom. I mean, it was, it was, cause I mean, I, I grew up, I grew up really being inspired by a lot of the, the great, you know, quote unquote, new journalists of the sixties and seventies. I mean, I was really hugely into Tom Wolfe, um, you know, Gay Talese, all those guys, you know, all the great Esquire men. I was going to make a joke, but it makes sense since you're wearing an all white suit right now. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, you spats. actually look very nice. In I know. I didn't know if I should wear spats for this, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, so, uh, yeah, it's um, it was it was a fantastic place. And in fact, Tom Wolfe had actually, you know, that had been one of his first places that he ever wrote. And so, I, in in a weird way, I felt like I was kind of following in his footsteps. Um, but yeah, that was amazing. But you know, what really made a difference in my writing, I think. I mean, I definitely, you know, I, I learned a lot, and I definitely got, you know, I mean, I was definitely a, an established professional when I was there. But um, when I came to the Times, I, I started writing so much more, and it really was like the kind of thing where it's it's the difference between practicing guitar, you know, four hours a day and 10 hours a day kind of thing. I mean, like I was just pumping out so many stories just on, on a newspaper pace that I, I do think it, it really took, took it to a next level because just the sheer, because it, 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 it was almost like a webby sort of thing where like I was writing so often and getting such instant feedback, you know, with New York magazine, you do these long stories that would, you know, it take several weeks you know, or more to do. And then like back then, you know, the web wasn't, you know, there wasn't like web commenters and stuff. So you didn't really know how this stuff was going over. Whereas, especially nowadays in the times, you know, you hear instant feedback, you get everybody on Twitter telling you what you did right, wrong, et cetera. And so I think, you know, I still, I'm still learning. I think I'm, I'm, 
I feel considerably like I'm considerably better than I was three years ago, you know, which is like, you know, not what everybody would say, you know, but I, I definitely, I hope it would be, yeah, I, I hope, I mean, I hope so. I guess so. Well, yeah. But, I mean, a lot of people, I think probably assume that you hit a certain point, you kind of like plateau, but mm-hmm. no, I definitely feel like, um, just the, the pace, um, and also the, the continuous feedback has been a big change. Is it something that you've had to, uh, or that sort of sharpened as you've been here? Because I think something that surprises me about your writing for the time specifically is that it is really relatable. I think that you write about things that in a, in a way that as, you know, being from Wisconsin and being sort of, you know, having sort of a Midwest sensibility, you know, you write about $800,000 watches, but sort of acknowledge <laughs> that, that not that that's crazy, but that, um, that that is worth raising your eyebrows. Yeah. At. Well, I'm, no, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, you, you get that. I'm glad that comes through because yeah, I, I definitely try to be, I mean, you know, it, it's weird because, you know, at New York magazine and here, uh, you know, you're always kind of implicitly writing certain like income level and stuff. I mean, not, I don't mean here in the New York times, which is like at, at the style section, you know, you know, people who follow, you know, fashion and stuff typically, you know, have means and everything. But yeah, I, I, I definitely try to keep in mind that's, I mean, I wasn't born into that sort of thing and I do, I try to play it for humor whenever possible. And I, yeah, I mean, and, and I think, I mean, I think outsiders really have the best perspective. It's kind of like, I mean, there's some old, you know, saying like the best New Yorkers are not from here. And it's kind of like, I think you can assess New York better if you're not, if you don't grow up here. I mean, I know a lot yeah. of kids who grew up in, you know, on Park Avenue or whatever, and they, you know, they're just so in it that, I mean, obviously they have a very, they get it too. But I mean, like, it's just like, you know, you don't see it. You're so deep in it that you might not see, you know, so the same way if you walk into like, I don't know, small town Louisiana, I'm sure you just be like, whoa, you people who live here don't realize how crazy this is, you know, but well, after writing about style for so many years, I mean, what does living with style mean to you? Living with style, um, it's, well, let's see. Um, I mean, do you mean in terms of how I incorporate style into my daily life or? Yeah. What, I mean, what do you think it is to live a stylish life? I mean, I think that, I mean, I guess this is the point where I say it's about style, not fashion. <laughs> but Which, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, yeah, yeah, it's a legit thing. It's a legit thing. I mean, I, I mean. The funny thing is that I feel like, I mean, this is a little off the topic, but a funny thing happened to me in terms of style, which is that I was really into what you would call like the heritage movement years before everybody. I mean, I'm sure other people were into it, but like, you know, it's, it's like in Wall Street, they say like, you know, there's, there's very little difference between being early and being wrong. I was so early, I was wrong. And people looked at me like I was insane. It's like, I mean, I remember a friend of mine wrote a short story about this friend of his who came to visit in Paris and like one of the and his jeans were too blue. And it's like, gee, I wonder who that was. And I mean, I was always, you know, I always went out of my way to find old, like, you know, like old Brooks brothers, Oxford shirts, you know, certain like cut, you know, like obviously made in the U S and all that stuff. And I was, I was into all that stuff, but there was no name for it. And there was no like crowd for it. And so I actually felt like in a lot of my life, I was kind of at odds with what was going on. Um, and you know, I mean, I had, you know, I, 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 I would jump into trends from time to time for sure. But like, that was always kind of like the, my guiding sensibility. And that was weird in mid two thousands or so. when all of a sudden I was just in the middle of like all this cool stuff. It's like, Oh, this is just me. It felt extremely natural. So all of a sudden I was dressing. I mean, I'm not really dressed like it now, but like, you know, yeah, I was, I was dressing much more of like that cliche. Yeah, exactly. It was like, cool. Finally, like the world caught up to me or I had caught up with the world or something. So, and I mean, I, I guess I, 
now we've sort of moved past that moment and I've kind of toned it down because you don't want to look like a 2007 Williamsburg cliche or something. But I mean, I still, you know, that's still kind of like, that's just feel, those clothes feel comfortable on me. Um, and so I think, I guess my long winded answer to your question would be basically stay true to your own style and let the trends catch up to you or something like that. Well, I mean, I guess it's the idea that you intentionally went out and, and sought after your own style, right? I mean, yeah. you didn't look in a magazine and see what that's. I had very mean. firm opinions. Yeah. yeah. It's, and, and it didn't always work. I mean, it definitely didn't always work. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, you just make a lot of mistakes when you're younger in, in all things and especially in style. I mean, I remember, you know, if I think back on some of my worst clothing purchases, it just makes me want to scream. But what do you think was it that made you even care? Cause a lot of people wouldn't even be trying. A lot of guys don't even say, you know what? I really want to go out and find heavy duty jeans. They would just say, here are these jeans that I'm wearing. Yeah, no, that's an extremely good question. And, um, I don't know, even as a child, I always, well, first of all, I had a really strong sense of sort of like history and heritage and stuff. And that was just not like, I mean, growing up in suburban California, that was needless to say, not cool. I mean, it was just like, nobody cared about what happened yeah. five minutes ago. Where your vans it was just like, yeah, happening. all that stuff. And so, the fact that I was really into, I mean, like I was thought the thirties was really cool. And that was why I was so amazed when like, you know, Tavo Summer started doing like Freeman stuff and I had like that thirties look in his shop. I was like, Oh my God, this is just what I've always been into. And he, of course he did it a thousand times better than I ever would have. But, um, so yeah, I was always kind of like, I guess, hyper untrendy in, in some ways, just like by, you know, I couldn't help it. I was just really into history and like, you know, the, the past and that sort of thing. I mean, and, the, and this kind of like translated to a lot of things with me. I mean, like, you know, I sort of read, all these, you know, all the wrong, I just wasn't doing anything. I mean, I listened to like, you know, all the wrong music. I read all the wrong books. I was just like, I was kind of like very eventually like in later high school, I kind of got cool with what people are listening to now, but I was just thing to say, I mean, that's so funny that you see it that way. Well, it's just, it's sort of like, well, cause I just, I, I, I used to take a lot of flack for it. I mean, like, I mean, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I remember like literally taking getting abused by all my friends who were listening to the Scorpions because I listened to the Beatles. It's like, that is so stupid. They're so lame. Or like, or the Beach Boys. I mean, I was hugely into the Beach Boys and that was like You live in California. You can't be into the Beach Boys in California? Not, not when I was a kid. It was considered hyper uncool. It was totally your that dad's music. And then it was only when I got, it was only when I got out into the world and started meeting people in the music industry and stuff with people who really, really good taste. And I'm like, oh my God, Brian Wilson's a genius. Yeah, totally. And then finally like, oh, at last, you know, but no, I mean, I, yeah. So you and, sort of had to find your tribe. Yeah, exactly. I definitely. And that's the New York's all about coming to, you know, find your tribe, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, so, I mean, I guess basically I was in a lot of ways, I was sort of out of step and then finally like, you know, but I mean, at any step. point along the way, you could have just said, you know what? Fine. I give up. I'm going to wear board shorts and vans and t-shirts and grow my hair out. I mean, how come you didn't? I'm, well, I'm almost starting to do that now. <laughs> that's, that's my next step. No, but, um, yeah, it's, why didn't I do that? It's a good question. I mean, I think part of it is that when I, I mean, I grew up in Northern California, which was, I mean, it was definitely a, a preppier scene where I went to school. I mean, my high school was kind of infamous in the district for being like the real preppy snob jerks. And, you know, we used to get graffiti on our walls about it and stuff. Yeah, I remember somebody painted a, an Izod or a, a, you know, a Lacoste alligator with a circle and a line. That was it. the graffiti? Yeah, that was, that was the kind of graffiti we had in our school. It was wow. rough, man. Yeah, it was Tough rough. times. But yeah, I mean, but then what really happened is I think when I first moved to Southern California, I just felt so out of place. I mean, that was a really different culture. Yeah. And I think I just, I wasn't ready to sort of meet them on their own terms. And so I just had to go 
totally my own direction. So, and that's, you know, yes, why I moved to New York. And that's, I think part of it is that I, just, I was like, so out of step with like, I mean, I was living right near Laguna beach. I mean, I was so out of step with like the whole surfer vibe. And I was too pale. Like literally I was just too pale. You were just too pale. It, for it really comes down it to that. It rejected you. Honestly, honestly, I think it all comes down to that. You were married to a online celebrity, shall mm-hmm. we say? Yes. Uh, your wife, Joanna Goddard. Mm-hmm. Runs a cup of Joe, mm-hmm. which is a very popular women's lifestyle site. Started yeah. as a blog. I think it's it's grown beyond yeah, sort yeah, of that uh, title. But she was really one of the original sort of personal bloggers that was putting her life out there and was really sharing a lot of personal details. And yeah. um, and so I'm just I'm curious about sort of your role as the you know there's that sort of notion now of the Instagram husband. Mm-hmm. You know, you two can't eat until she's taking a picture of her meal and you have to snap a shot of her, you know, as you're walking the dog, what, what's the reality behind that? Because I think we see, you know, that, that side of it, but. Well, that's an excellent question. And it's actually, I'm glad you asked me that because it gives me a chance to sort of counter, I think, common perceptions. Well, I mean, for one thing, I have to say about Joanna's blog, it it is the, the weird thing about her blog is that it really did not start out. She was, she was into it so early that it was before people were really trying to make, I mean, the thought that you'd make a living from this is, it was nonsense. I mean, nobody thought about doing that. It was, it was like having a blog and whenever she started at 2005 or six was really like having a Facebook page, you know, it's just sort of, and that's exactly how she used it. It was, it was pre Facebook or at least before Facebook was big. And, um, and she's a journalist by trade as well. Right? Yeah, she, yeah, exactly. And she was, she had a magazine background, but I mean, literally, I mean, as she always would tell people, I mean, she started her blog. In fact, basically between the time she broke up with her last boyfriend and started going out with me. Um, and it was kind of like, you know, she had time on her hands cause she was single and she wanted to keep her, her mom and her sister basically didn't live in New York in, you know, in the loop. And so, you know, I, I mean, literally it was like, just throwing up any old thing that, you know, oh, I found this cool art print, you know, or, you know, and then also just very personal things. Oh, I had some friends over and we had like margaritas or something. And so, and by the time I came into it, it was really, it was, it was, it had caught on at a very small level. Like it was a little bit beyond our circle of friends, but not much. And it was, so it was I was kind of there at the very beginning. And so I didn't really think about it because it was sort of like, you know, it's, it was kind of like asking like, well, do you worry about, you know, your girlfriend putting up pictures of you on Facebook? It's like, no, not really. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly how and when it started to take off, but it started to become, first of all, evident that, you know, you could actually make a few bucks on it. And then it started to become like, you know, it could actually become sort of a, you know, supplement to your career. And then like, oh, pretty soon, like, oh, it could actually be your career. And it just like kept sort of moving through those levels because, you know, she was, you know, I don't even know what the number would be, but, you know, 10 or fewer kind of early, yeah, early kind of breakout people. And, you know, most people just never like, you know, they did it as a hobby and then they kind of like went on to do other things, but she kind of stuck with, it. and it's also, also, I have to say it is incredibly built for like who she is as a human being. I mean, she's just, you know, she's one of these people that has, she's, she has just enormous amounts of energy. She's really interested in a whole bunch of different things. She's, she can just like process a lot of information quickly. Um, very social, but reaching out to people and everything. It's just, she was kind of like perfectly, you know, it's perfect medium for her basically. And so it was all very like, I mean, you know, we got together in 2006, I believe it was, Sometime around 2008, we started hearing that kind of like, oh, man, you guys are like putting everything out there. And we were always saying, you know, actually, we don't like everything. I mean, there's a big distinction here. Like everything we do on the blog, you know, this is what we said then, like everything we do on the blog is real, but it's a very small portion of what we actually do. I mean, there are, and it's what you choose to show. It's it's what we choose to show. And it's not like an idealized version because this was also before the whole like Instagram filter era and everything. And so it wasn't like, I mean, it was very selective. I mean, yeah, we might throw a couple of pictures of the party that we threw, but that, 
there were all, you know, none of the other nights out we were putting on. I mean, and so, and Joanna is really, really um, dogmatic about that. And she, to this day, she's very, like, we're not living for the photo shoot. I mean, there are so many things. I mean, it, it's, it, we go on so many trips that like, you know, especially in Instagram, it's like every trip you go on, every meal you have, et cetera, et cetera, we got to shoot it and put a filter on it. It's like, we, we go on entire like two week vacations that we don't even mention. And she really, cause it, with her, it's a, it's a parenting philosophy. You know, it's, I don't want to put us out there too much. Um, and we just don't want to live that way. We don't want to live like we're on a set the whole time. And so I, you know, in a, in a way we'd probably be better off if you know, we did more of that because certainly a lot of people out there do it. Sure. I mean, your marriage might disintegrate, but like, <laughs> yeah, at least exactly. you get the shot. Exactly. And then, you know, and, and of course, you know, I mean, like, you know, her site is at a level now where, yeah, I mean, she has like professional photographers coming to do like official shoots for certain things, but it's generally speaking, the kind of like Instagrammy selfie sort of stuff, um, or just like the daily shooting, very little of it. I mean, I think a lot of our readers would actually like to see more personal stuff. Um, because we, yeah, she, she doesn't want to live you know, under the lens of a camera all day long. And, you know, well, I will say, I think she's lovely. She wrote me a very nice email a couple months after I, we had first mm-hmm. gotten to know each other. And she just said, Oh, I, th- you know, I think my husband has quoted you in a story. I just, I wanted you to know that I looked at your site and it's just, you know, I just think it's lovely. And just the fact that she would even think to write that email, like there's so many more people out in the world that would rather write a nasty comment on Yelp or something, you know, just yeah. put negativity out into the world. And the fact that she's like, I don't really have any reason. I just wanted to like say like your site. I was just like, Oh, what a kind person. No, that's, and, no that is, <laughs> that's kind of in a window into I think why her site did survive and thrive is that, I mean, a, she's the kind of person who will find your site, you know, B, she's the kind of person who actually reach out and she didn't want anything from you. She just kind of like, Hey, this, you know, she's very into supporting other women who are doing the same thing. And, um, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. But yeah, I mean the snark, I mean, Snark is not dead. Snark's never going to be dead. But um, at the same time, I do, don't feel like it's, you know, yeah. as bad as it was a few years ago. And again, I mean, just to speak to your writing again, I think that you do a really great job of winking at things rather than sort of rolling your eyes at things. Yeah, I Which makes so. a difference. I, yeah, I do try to do that. I mean, because I, yeah, I, I came up in the 90s in journalism when mean journalism was kind of the order of the day. I mean, you do a celebrity profile and you would just throw in a couple of just nasty yes. zingers. Just, it was like that whole spy magazine thing was still kind of out there. And I mean, I did that. I kind of like did it and got out of my system. I, yeah, it's, I, cause it's just kind of a drag. <laughs> and people don't like you eventually. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I want to play, uh, would you rather, okay. Ooh, all right. So would you rather go a month without socks or without underwear? Well, I went most of my college career without socks. That was the great era of no socks. Um, so I can't say we went without underwear too often. Um, I guess I would rather go without socks, although it's probably sexier to say underwear. Yeah, I guess I'll say, uh, yeah. Or is it less sexy? It's probably less sexy, actually. I don't know. <laughs> would you rather lose the hair all over your body or have Donald Trump's hair permanently? Ooh, God. Um I guess, well, I could lose all my hair on my body. I wouldn't, I guess, miss it that much. I mean, nowadays, so many men have so little hair on their body. Um, I'm just about ready to toss the beard, I suppose. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess that's, that means I would have to have Trump's hair? Permanently. Oh, Jesus. No. Well, okay, whatever gives me not Trump's hair is okay, the answer. So yeah. hairless body. Yes, hairless body. <laughs> yes. Uh, would you rather, for a year, let Kanye West dress you or your five-year-old? <laughs> Actually, it's funny you mentioned that because my five-year-old's real fashion plate. Wow, yeah, Kanye, his aesthetic is not exactly mine. I can't really see you walking it's, all the yeah, time it's, in tunic tops and leather. I have a like, lot of respect for the man, but I can't say. I think I might have to go with uh, 
A five-year-old. Just FYI, we're going to be tweeting at him pretty okay. just incessantly now. <laughs> That's quite all right. Uh, all right. Okay, so the five-year-old wins out. Yeah, I think, yeah, because, I, I mean, he'd, I know what he'd put me in. He'd put me in, like, American Apparel leggings, <laughs> um, a sports jersey, and a blue blazer. That's kind of what his go-to outfit. It's pretty insane. But I'm yeah. going to wear that to the office yeah. tomorrow. That yeah. sounds amazing. It's a good look. It's a good look. I've actually been thinking, I have this thing where I get into like, I just want to wear this all the time. Like, oh, yeah. I, I kind of dress like a five-year-old in that way, yeah. but I really want to wear a lot of sports jerseys this summer. Like a lot of basketball jerseys. That's an interesting But one. like dressed up, so with like a skirt or like... Yeah. That's funny, yeah. yeah. Not to disclose a future story idea, but yeah, I've actually thought about writing about that kind of thing. It's I've never thought about women doing it. It's kind of a good look. Like what team would you do? Packers? I like, well, no. Brewers? <laughs> I would wear like... Like, I have a good, like, an old Bulls jersey that I like a lot. Uh, I have an old, um, like, a Hornets jersey. Like, these are all things that, like, me and my brother Robin. wore growing up, and now they, yeah. no. <laughs> I, was, I was not a Rodney fan. That's like being a fan of, like, Raphael. Yeah, like, nobody wants to be, like, the Raphael fan of, like, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Dennis, nobody wants to be the Dennis Rodman fan of the Bulls. Fan. No, that is true. I've never been a Rodman fan, actually. Oh, yeah. Basketball jerseys. Like, oh, yeah. old basketball jerseys that when I was, like, 11, they yeah. went down to my knees, and now they actually kind of fit. No, that's a good look on women. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. But you're saying for guys? For guys? Like, under a blazer? I mean, I mean honestly, it's, you know, it's obviously huge and, like, you know hip hop and everything. Um, I can't, I haven't seen it cross over outside of that circle too much, but it's an interesting thing to keep, keep tabs on. There's a great store. Um, my friend, Remember Brown, who writes for New York magazine. Now mm-hmm. he took me to this amazing vintage shop, uh, in the East village. And it's just like jerseys on jerseys on jerseys. Ooh. I was in heaven. Wow. That so, yes. good. Yeah. I mean, my problem is all the vintage jerseys I'd want to wear would just like brand me as like old because I'd want to wear like a Ken Stabler or, you know, Jersey from the Raiders or something. It's like, who? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> Another friend of Style Girlfriend and, and a former uh, podcast guest, Adam Rank, who works for NFL Network, he mm-hmm. does this recurring segment called Hipster Jersey. Oh, and yeah. it's, you know, he'll go to the Super Bowl, he'll go to different kind of um, sporting events and just talk to people wearing like the oldest, most like random, bizarro, you know, it's just like, oh, that person played for like a year in 1972. Oh, yeah. How do you have their jersey? Like, and it's the, I mean, I don't even know any of the people that they're talking about, but it's, you know, it really shows you to be that kind of like the mega fan and it just looks cool. It, like, is it, pretty it really cool. sets you apart. No, years ago, I found a site from England that had not just like every sort of Premier League team, you can imagine, not just Premier League, like every, you know, the Italian teams, the Spanish teams and stuff, not just their current uniforms, but like going back throughout, I mean, you could get like a, you know, a Manchester City jersey from 1966 and that sort of thing. It was like, wow. But you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to know what you're talking about. You, you do. I must say that I have found extreme resistance from the women in my life toward any sporting apparel. Ooh. Yeah, I cannot think of anybody I've ever dated who would. It's it's an interesting thing to try, but it's 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 an exper- it's a high-risk experiment, I would say. But high reward. High reward, okay. Uh, next up, would you rather read every comment you receive... On the New York Times website, Whatever the every comment is. on your wife's blog. Oh Jesus! Um, none of the above. Ooh, um, right? That's well. Actually, no. My wife's blog's comments tend to be. She's got a very nice readership. So yeah, I guess I would have to say that. <laughs> would you rather work at Spider-Man's Daily Bugle or the Daily Prophet from Harry Potter? Um, I um, I guess the Daily Prophet because um, I don't even know where Harry Potter is actually supposed to be set. I know where they film it. Is it in the north of England? It's England, like somewhere. Yeah. Right? Okay, yeah, that sounds like charming. I would do that. <laughs> okay. Just like ride an old vintage Raleigh bicycle and, you know, wear tweed. Yeah, I would do that. Uh, finally, would you rather lose $1,000 or all of your social media followers? That's an interesting question because I feel like 
I would definitely have said the thousand dollars up until very recently, but I'm starting to wonder how much the followers really matter, at least on Twitter. That's my main forum. And so I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting question. Um, I guess I would have to keep my social media followers just because it would look too lame to have no followers, but I know it's kind of when you are faced with that, it is scary to think about how much you do value your social media following. Not that it gives you worth, but it is something where it doesn't, you don't seem legitimate until, you know, sort of you hit an X threshold. Oh, totally. Well, you know, I mean, what's interesting to me is that, I mean, I know some, some friends I have who are like good jobs in Silicon Valley, the higher they are on the ladder, the less profile they have. I mean, that's not totally true. I mean, like Mark Andreessen's all over the place and stuff, but I mean, I know some people who like, you know, like good jobs at Google who just like, you can't, they, there's no evidence they exist. They are just, they do not exist. All right. Now, before we get to your, your million bucks moment, uh, AW approved or not this dude, jogger pants. Not this dude. Uh, man buttons. Uh, um, not this dude. Tunic tops. I, um, I think not this dude. Calling yourself a foodie. Oh God. Um, not this dude. CrossFit. Not this dude. I mean, just because that's too intense for me. I don't think I could do CrossFit. I'd like to. I'd like to be the guy who does CrossFit, but I'm not. Uh, engaging trolls on Twitter. Oh, not this dude. Attending sneaker drops. Oh, not this dude. <laughs> I mean, I would like to. You know, give me like Kanye's budget. I would. I would actually have my minions attend sneaker drops and buy me sneakers. Okay. No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> You're wait. not lining up. I don't line up at yeah midnight at Supreme to buy the latest drop. No cruises. My wife would say, not this dude. I actually secretly want to take a cruise someday. It's not a secret. Uh, Oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh Uh-oh. It's on the podcast. No, I mean, I I mean, the right, I mean, for one thing, there there are all these kind of branded cruises that like, you know, some of those like rock cruises, like, you know, pavement cruise or something and whatever. I, I, I do like being on boats and I like, you know, the sunshine and I like, you know, cocktails with umbrellas in them. So yeah, I would like to take a cruise. Okay. And finally, the invisible tie. The invisible tie. I don't even know what that is. So having your shirt buttoned up all the way. Oh, that, oh yes. I, I have tried that look and it, um, it can be that David Lynch pulls that off really well. He's the only one I know of right now. I think maybe Lyle Lovett has done it. I don't know, but it's actually, uh, Brian Jones from the stones did that really well in the sixties in the early days. So if you're Brian Jones, Lyle Lovett or David Lynch, yes. Otherwise not this dude. <laughs> And finally, we always uh, close out the podcast by asking our guests to describe their first million bucks moment. Oh, yeah. No, the, 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 that happened to me. Um, there's no question what I would, you know, respond with that. When I was in, um, I went to Italy when I, uh, several years ago. It was right before the lira transformed into the euro. And the, um, the, the lira was just, it, just in the tank. It was so low. And so everything in the city was half price. I mean, you'd go to the coolest restaurant in town and each person would throw in like 50 bucks at the end of the night. It was just amazing. And I just went on this crazy shopping spree. I mean, it was like, you know, Reese Witherspoon and totally blonde or whatever. I was just like buying everything. I mean, literally I'd walk into a store and buy like five shirts. I basically bought like three years worth of clothing because everything was on sale. But the, the one thing that was really um, amazing is that I, I had never had a truly nice suit. I mean, most of the suits that I'd had have been the kind of, of the like, I mean, you know, I had a couple of old, like, stodgy suits for my dad and then, um, you know, just like whatever the, you know, Banana Republic equivalent would be. Um, but I went into the the Prada shop right on, right off the Spanish steps and, you know, like the trendiest little section of Rome and just walked in. I actually walked in with shorts and sneakers. I was like total ugly American. But I walked in and um, just, I, I, I bought the techno suit, which was their 
uh, iconic suit. I mean, it's entirely made of plastic. It was amazing. It was like that ultimate sort of like late 90s, early 2000s, like slick kind of metrosexually kind of suit. But that was the most flattering cut, flattering everything I've ever seen on any item. It just transformed me. I mean, I looked like, you know, 15 pounds lighter, four inches taller. I just looked, you know, like a movie star. It was bizarre. I couldn't believe it. And every, I mean, you know, usually I, you know, you buy a suit and you only wear it to like, you know, whatever weddings and funerals. Uh, or job interviews or something like that. I mean, showing I, up at the corner bagel uh, shop. Yeah, like to, no, I mean, literally, I was I was finding any excuse for it. And I mean, I think my coworkers were like, "What in the hell?" It's like, you know, it's like it's like driving up in a Bentley or something. But yeah, you know, it was it was only you know it was, it was literally half price, and so it was it was you know a few hundred dollars more than like going in and buying some off the rack thing at Banana Republic or whatever you know. And um, but it was just absolutely amazing. I mean, some suits you know I've I've owned suits that I wore three or four times. I wore that. 200 times. I mean, any excuse. I mean, I remember I would go to parties. I went to the MTV um, the Video Music Awards one year and I was covering them. I was in the green room with all the celebrities and I went to the bathroom and right next to me was Vin Diesel and he and I were wearing the same suits. No. Yeah. Yep. Uh, we were checking each other's out, you know, the suits. It was, it was, it was pretty intense. Twins, the <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're like, oh, yeah, yeah. Danny DeVito and yeah. Him being DeVito, of course, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the bit, no, that suit was amazing. And I mean, the, the tragedy is now I can't find anything to replace it because I wore it up until, and I got that in the early 2000s, and I got I wore that thing religiously up until four or five years ago, anyway. And the last couple times I've worn it, it is like you look like, you know, like some dot com executive from 1999. It's like, turned from, into a pumpkin. It's, it's turned into a pumpkin, but it's still, it looks beautiful. It's just the cut is so not 2016. But it, and, and on top of that, you could just like roll it up in a ball, throw it in your suitcase, pull it out, and look amazing. I mean, it's it's entirely made of plastic, so it, I mean, it's bulletproof. It's great. I mean, if they would update that suit, I would pay any price for it. Maybe they have actually. Who knows? I don't really look at Prada suits. And it would, I'm sure that you would probably have sticker shock looking at the price, but you would buy it again. Um. Yeah, I probably would because it's like I would rather spend whatever. $2,000, $2,500 on a suit that I wear a hundred times than $900 or $600 on a suit that I wear three times. Yeah. From your mouth to our listeners' ears. That's right. I love it. No better way to end. Alex Williams, New York Times, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. was Alex Williams of the New York Times. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of Undressed. Please go subscribe and leave a review if you haven't done so already. All that good review juju just helps more people discover the podcast, which helps us do more of them. Everybody wins, right? Till next time, this is Undressed. I'm Megan Collins of Style Girlfriend. Thanks for listening. 